Amen. Good morning, church. Glad to come your way this morning as we continue to look at our series, the book of John. Amen. The Lordship of Jesus Christ, volume 3. And today is our 56th installment. Uh, before we get into the thick of things, let's share a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we thank you as we come before you. Let your will be done. Hallowed be your name. We live a life of total surrender, O oh Lord. May your word be a blessing to us this morning. We thank you for the spirit of the instructor that is in the house to lead and to guide us into all truth. I thank you that you will speak through me, you will think through me, you will inspire through me, you will encourage through me, you will edify through me. This I ask in your holy and matchless name we pray. Amen. Today we start a new chapter in 12. Uh, between chapters 12 and 19, it's the last seven days of Jesus till he's crucified. Amen. So, Jesus' last days on earth are, are coming to uh, an end. Uh, his physical presence, of course, his ever-abiding and assuring love and presence will always be with us, but we are talking about the physical shell of Jesus. Um, so, conventionally, it was believed that Jesus died on a Friday. And that's what um, we all believe. So today's chapter, we will look at what Jesus did on the Saturday before that. So Saturday to Friday, that's a seven span, a seven day span. So chapters 12 to 19 is chronicling Jesus' life and whatever he did from the Saturday to the Friday because Jesus died on the Passover. So that's six days before Passover. Amen. Uh, have you realized when a celebrity or a prominent person dies, uh, one of the conspiracies that normally surround their death is what did they last do or say? It's always going to be that. Um, many celebrities, if you can think of people who have died, they're always trying to dig. What was his last interview? If he was an actor, what was his last movie? If he was a song artist, what was his last album? So most artists that die, their last albums tend to sell a lot. Because we are, we are always fixated on what was the last thing, last interview. What did they last say? One of the people that really comes to memory is Kobe Bryant. I remember when he and his daughter, Gianna, along with seven others, died in that tragic helicopter crash in 2020. One of the conspiracies was, what did he last do? You see, now with social media and everything, these things are becoming less mysterious because people are checking what was his last tweet. I think his last tweet was to congratulate LeBron James for passing him up on being number three all-time leading scorer in NBA history. You know, things like that. But one of the things that they find fascinating was the last thing he ever did was before he boarded the helicopter, he went for mass because he was a Catholic, right? So he went for the early morning mass. His priest saw him with the water on his forehead, and he said he and his daughter are going to play a basketball game in Orange County 
and uh, unfortunately they met their fate. So you know we are always interested in what were the last things because it is normally said that the the the, the last moments of a man it defines the man truly who he really is. And why am I giving this analogy? Because please, I want you to pay particular attention to chapters 12 to 19 as we go through this. Because um, it's really going to focus on Jesus' last activities he did on earth, his doings or acts, and his sayings or words. Amen. And like what I just said, the last days of a man on earth truly defines him. And uh, when you are aware of your last days, even in this life, you tend to focus on the most important stuff and not what is trivial or mundane. Like, for example, when a doctor diagnoses someone of, let's say, a terminal disease that uh, you are about to die, your, your, your days on earth are numbered, the person will begin to think about the most important things. What is important? What is dear to me? What message do I have to pass on if I have children? What will I want to be my legacy? Stuff like that. They tend to get things in order. Trivial and mundane things are not part of it. Now, Jesus, sensing that his time was coming to an end, physical presence, Jesus now begins to do the most important things. He involves himself in the most important activities. And he utters some of the most powerful things that I think humanity will have to take notice of. Amen. So with that said, uh, I just want us to set us up for uh, what we are about to experience now. Because now this is a different division of John where we will look at the last seven days of Jesus. So we are going to read the first 11 verses of John chapter 12. So open your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. And I won't stop till I reach verse 11. And I start from verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Now, I don't hear too many people say supper. They say dinner. So it was like a dinner, right? Okay. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrance oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus 
whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Amen. Now, after the dramatic events of chapter 11, and chapter 11 mostly deals with Lazarus being resurrected from the dead, that was quite a spectacle to behold. Uh, There was merrymaking in the house of Simon the leper. How do I know that? Because this same account is repeated in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. And both of them ascribe that the event took place in the house of Simon the leper. So sometimes when you are reading some of these stories, it's good to normally check, especially when it comes to the Gospels or the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels has to do with Matthew, Mark, Luke. The Gospels has to do with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So normally when you are reading some of these parables or miracles or any events that Jesus was involved in, try and check from the other books, especially the, the, the other three books, whether they are there. And sometimes when you read it, you are able to get uh, uh, the thread of thoughts in, in that sense. So you will be able to even get the full picture of that particular event. So um, this happened in Simon the leper, whose house was in Bethany. Amen. And contrary to popular opinion and tradition, Jesus was pretty much a cool person. He often honored invitations as a guest to eat, something the Pharisees and the religious leaders couldn't do. Let me tell you, when you understand Christianity, you will not be so religious and so legalistic. I really enjoyed today's Bible study. Even though you might not have seen me on camera, I was listening to every word and every bit of it, and it was very powerful. Christians, we have to come to a place where we have to live the life of grace. And I don't know if you have been following our presiding bishop's devotional. Uh, these, these are what he's been touching on this week. On learning how to live a life of grace by submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's not about laws. It's not about rule-keeping. It's not about legalism. I have elaborated much on this during our study on the book of Romans. So let me not belabor. But whilst at the dinner, Mary brought her costly oil of spikenard and poured it on the feet of Jesus. And if you read the other two um, um, accounts in Matthew and Mark, they didn't really mention Mary's name. They made it seem like it was a mysterious woman. But John went ahead to unravel the mysterious woman and said it was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And from this story, I want us to learn something from Mary. And Mary's act is the sub-theme for today's message, which I entitled, A Heart of Worship. Her life is one of devotion. Why do I say that? I say that based on three scriptures. Luke chapter 10, verse 39. The Bible says, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and learned. Okay, that's devotion. John chapter 11, verse 32. The Bible lets us know, Mary fell at Jesus' feet and surrounded. When all hope was lost and gone, we just read that scripture a couple of weeks ago. 
And knowing that her brother was dead and gone, all she had to do was just fall at Jesus' feet and surrender. And then John chapter 12, verse 3. I just read that right now. The Bible lets us know that Mary anointed Jesus' feet and honored him. Listen, you can't have a rich worship experience with Jesus until you live a total life of surrender and devotion. People who can really worship the Lord, who can be caught up in worship, it's because they live a life of surrender and devotion. One of the things you can't fake is worship. Either you have it or you don't have it. Because it comes out of pure devotion, total surrender for you to have a rich worship experience. You know, sometimes when it comes to the worship segment of the program, you really see the the devotional aspects of the believer's life. Most times they are daydreaming. Most times they are wondering and gazing in space. Most times they sound even uninterested. And sometimes they might even need the worship leader to prop them up so many times, prop them up before they can worship the Lord. But when you live a life of total devotion and surrender, just as Mary did, you don't need motivation to worship the Lord. The worship is on the inside of you. I pray this morning that as we listen to this message, may we have a heart of worship. Amen. Uh, she brought something that was worth 300 denarii. And you have to understand the, the cost value during Jesus' day. 300 denarii was an average worker's uh, yearly wage. So perhaps maybe Mary was rich. Because what was in that bottle? I don't know how big. You know, as I was, I'm trying to think. So how big was this bottle? How big is this perfume? So basically, it's just a perfume. How big is it? How big is this perfume? Because this is going to cost one year's wage. Average worker's wage to buy such a perfume. You have to be doing a good job. Perhaps. Maybe Mary, Lazarus, and Martha may have been rich people. Perhaps. I, I, I don't know. But I'm thinking how big the bottle is. Will it be like this perfume? Is this 75 mil? 125 mil? But even that, how much will it even cost? You know, so let's even bring it in today's term. In today's U.S. economy, as we say in the U.S., the average yearly income is about 71000 So let's say that the perfume that Mary bought was 71000 That's for her. Special. I don't think she hadn't even used it. The first time she broke that $71,000 perfume was just to use it at the feet of Jesus. If you are truly, if you are truly worshiping Christ, as we all claim, what are you prepared to part with? What are you prepared to let go? For Mary, it was that one-year bottle. I remember some, one day someone sent me a, 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 a WhatsApp forwarded message about the world's most expensive perfume. 
It was one point something. And, and it sold in Dubai. I think the whole bottle is gold. The whole bottle is gold. That, that's it. It's not even 125 mil. The whole bottle is gold. So it was one million and something. And I asked my friend, ah, if you, if you spray this, are you going to smell true to the next day? Just ask, just ask them, you know, because I, I didn't really understand it. But think about it. One year, one year salary, she's bought this perfume. She's kept it. But because she had a heart of devotion, a heart of worship, she was prepared to let go. And number two, how do we know that the cost was 300 denarii? Do you know that Jesus had an accountant? His name is called Judas. He wasn't just a disciple, but the Bible lets us know he had the money box. And he didn't just have the money box. He had extracurriculum activities. He was also a thief. And he put his hand in the money often. That's what the Bible says. John was very careful to explicitly write this. I'm asking myself, ah, so what sort of beef did Judas had with John for John to put his business out like that for the whole world to read? Because the disciples, none of them said this. None of them, except John. I'm asking myself, how John and Judas, were they really on good terms? I don't understand how you can just put the, the, the issue here at bay like that for everybody to read that the dude was a thief. But he was a thief. Amen. And he was the one that said it. He was the accountant. He, he knew the, the price. He knew the market value of that perfume. And he said that if it, if, if it, it could have been sold for 300 dollars and it could have been used for the poor. Now, Jesus knew Judas' motive. That is why he gave the answer he gave. Now, if you read this at face value, you might think that Jesus is not sympathetic or empathetic to the plight of the poor. If you just read this at face value. But you and I know, far from it, that if Jesus has people that he has to his bosom and is very close to, it's to the poor. Because they have nothing. When you read Luke chapter 4 verse 18, Jesus says that I came to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus had a special affinity for people who are poor. But he knew the motive by which Judas asked this question. And Judas asked this question not because he thought of the poor. And Jesus' answer inferred, I will not always be here in the physical. But the poor, you will have with them always. You will have to honor them. Today is my day of honor. And I will not be here always. My physical shell, my physical presence, where you people will have the chance to worship and adore me, will not be here. I'm not always going to be here. The poor, you will have with you always. And as much as it's good to take care of the poor, have better welfare plans for the poor, be sympathetic and empathetic to the plight of the poor, don't also forget to give me my worship and my honor. Jesus is not pitting the poor against himself, but based on Judas's motive of questioning, Jesus decided to throw this in there. Jesus is wise. You can't put Jesus in a net with your cacophony of questions. It's never going to work.
Amen. Now, Jesus said something that I want us to take notice. Let her alone to the woman. Because it looks like in the atmosphere there was acrimony. You see, these people, they were smelling the perfume and they were also criticizing. Have you seen some before? You are enjoying the blessing of the perfume and you are also criticizing. I don't know how many of them can, spend, can save a year's salary just to buy that perfume. You have been very privileged to be in the presence of perfume. Perhaps the most expensive perfume. That, has, that the seal has been broken for you to now get a whiff of the aroma. You are smelling and then you are criticizing. And that's what was happening. The room there was a room of acrimony. It wasn't one of gratitude and honor. Even though the people who were there knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. It's okay for us to see him as a miracle worker. It's okay for us to see him as a healer. It's okay for us to see him blessing us. But we have a problem ministering our gifts to him and even ministering our own lives to him. That is a problem. Is that not so amazing? And yet these people smelling the whiff of the aroma still criticized. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this until the day of my burial. And from this lesson, I will want us to pick some few points from our story. Because Jesus didn't allow the critics to drown Mary's service for him. So, from the first eight verses, there are some five lessons that I want us to learn and take home with us this morning. Number one. Jesus' response to an invitation for dinner implies when you invite him into your life, he will never turn you down. So that's an implication. It's one of the reasons that perhaps Jesus never said no to a dinner invitation. Because Jesus wanted to show that in as much as I am loving and I respond to invitations, when you invite me into your life, I will never turn you down. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. A horrible church, a compromising church. They had totally backslidden, fallen off the wagons. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you let me in, I will come in. I will sup with you. You will be with me and I with you. Jesus never turns down an invitation. And perhaps that's the reason why he came. Because imagine, think about it. You have six more days. You are about to die. Who will want to go for a dinner? Your appetite will even be gone. Can you imagine you look at the clock and you realize that six more days, I'm just about to die. Party, dining, being with people will not be one of them. Jesus has given us a clear-cut message this morning that I never turn down invitations. If you invite me into your life, I will respond. The second lesson that we can learn is Jesus loved Judas even though he was a thief. When I read this scripture, 
I'm a pastor. And every pastor can relate. Who would like your financial secretary to be a thief? Nobody. Even the most loving pastor with all the fruit of the Spirit combined, the demeanor of Jesus, I don't think will suffer an accountant who will be a thief and who will be taken from church coffers. But Jesus loved Judas and he knew that Judas was a thief. And what does this tell us? It tells us about Jesus came to represent God the Father. And who is God? God is love. And Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. Jesus came on earth to represent God. And Jesus was saying to us through the story that there is nothing anybody can do to exhaust the overwhelming, endless, and reckless love of God. There is nothing you can do. Your bad deeds, no matter how bad you are, you can't exhaust the love of God. Because God doesn't have love. God is love. His nature is love. And even though Judas may have had a very questionable character, God still loved him. And Jesus, because he and his father are one, he came to show the heart of God the Father towards Judas and towards hardcore sinners. God's overwhelming. God's never-ending. Reckless love of God is real. And thank God that it was demonstrated through Jesus who walked on this earth by working with a thief. And not just that, but by working with someone who will betray him. And I'm sure that the 30 pieces of silver probably may have come from the offering. I'm very sure. You use the church offering to on top to also betray your master. But Jesus loved him. He loved him to the point that we will read the scripture. He called Judas friend. Love. God loves. So this morning... Know that Jesus came to demonstrate the heart of God the Father, which is love. There is nothing that anybody can do to exhaust the love of God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You can't exhaust God's love. Because he doesn't have love. He is love. Think about it. Maybe this week, a friend needs to hear this. Maybe this week, a family member needs to hear this. There is nothing that you can do that can exhaust God's love because it's overwhelming, it's reckless, it's never-ending. And to be honest, the day you come to understand and grasp the full meaning of the love of God, it will enrich your devotion towards God, which will give you a better worship experience. Amen. The third lesson is Jesus is God and he is Lord. Hence his worship. He wasn't a man because that would have been idol worship. He wasn't an angel. That would have been another God or another idol. But he is God and he is Lord. God saw a fit for Jesus to be worshipped. 
Why? Because I and my father are one. Jesus is in the same class as God. He's in the same breath of God. He is God. And even though when he came on earth, he humbled himself, became a man, and became obedient to the point of death. Jesus is Lord, and he is God, and he deserves his worship. So Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just a poet. Jesus is not just a religious figure. Jesus is not just a healer. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. And all those things are true. But Jesus is Lord. It is fit for people to honor him. It is fit for people to fall at his feet and worship him because he is in the same class and in the same breath as God. He is God and he is Lord of our lives. And when we understand that, we will give him his worship. The fourth lesson, Jesus comes to the defense of worship and the worshiper. There is one thing that you can't take away from Jesus, his worship. He will come to the defense. He takes notice of people who will antagonize worship. He takes notice of people who will want to make a mockery of worship. He takes notes. He comes to the defense of the worship experience and the worshiper. Jesus didn't allow Mary to suffer the antagonism. He said, let her alone. Enough is enough. Let her alone. She has kept this until the day of my birth. Even one day, Jesus said that, if you will not worship me, I will command stones to worship me. Jesus is so particular about his worship that even in the book of Psalms, it is prophesied that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have ordained praise. Or other versions will say, you have ordained strength. God comes to the defense of worship. Look, the most important segment of a church service, I keep on saying it, is what Minister Lee led us through. Not the preaching. This is not the most important part of that. This might be the second most, but the, the chiefest, the most important part is the worship. Because that is what we come to offer to God. I don't come and offer preaching to God. Do you think God needs to hear my preaching? Do you think God is in heaven saying, Woo, good preaching. God bless you. Let me give him a fight. No, God is not interested in that. I can't move God with anything. I mean, what I'm preaching, he gave it to me. What, what can I say that I haven't received from God? He gave me what I'm preaching. The preaching is for you. But the worship is for God. And the offering also is for God. These are the things that we do that we can say that offer truth with worship God. So there are some people, they will only come say, I'm going to church to listen to the preaching. But you, haven't, you haven't worshiped God. You haven't. And then they will say, I'm going to church to go and worship God. How can you go to church to worship God and you have missed the main menu of the worship? It's just like you said you've gone to a restaurant and you've had desserts. Can you tell me you've had the meal? You've not had the meal. You've not had the meal. You can have the appetizers and desserts, but when the main menu came, you were not there. You can't tell me you had the meal. And you can't tell me you have had a full worship experience when you are not involved or when you don't participate in the worship segments of a church service. It's not for late comments. It's not to pile away the time. Or it's not to boost up 
the preacher so that he will be able to preach. No, no, no. This is a whole service and a whole sacrifice to God. So today I want you to see your worship differently from now and treat it as such. Don't need motivation. You don't need to be whipped up to be able to worship God. And like I said, just like Mary, when we have a total heart of devotion, when we live a life of surrender, it is easier for us to worship God. You will not even need a song. You can worship God by yourself. You can sit in the car without no stereo play and you can worship God because worship starts from the inner man. Worship is not external. It starts from the inner man. It's not external. So Jesus comes to the defense of worship and the worshiper. And remember, God in the Old Testament says something. I am a jealous God. Share my glory with no one. Christ takes notes when people want to antagonize worship and will want to antagonize the worshiper. And sometimes it even happens. Sometimes people can give outrageous amounts of money to the church and people want to criticize it. Jesus is shouting from the corridors of heaven. Let them alone. Let them alone. Let them alone. God is sensitive to his worship. Amen. And the fifth thing and final thing, our worship to God is time sensitive. We will not get the opportunity to worship God every day. It's time sensitive. You might die or rapture will come and we'll stand in front of the Lord. There's no time to worship God anymore. It's not time to give an account of your works. So we don't have all day. If you think we have all day, that's not true. That's why Ephesians 5.16 tells us we should redeem the time because the days ahead are evil. A time will come, we won't have time to worship him. It is time sensitive. Because these people even took Jesus for granted that he was going to be with them always. And he said, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here. She has done what is needful. I'm not going to be here. Our worship to God is time sensitive. Don't take coming to church for granted. It's time sensitive. Don't take your Christian service to God for granted. It's time sensitive. Don't take living a life of devotion and living a life of consecration before God for granted. It's time sensitive. Don't take giving offerings to God for granted. It's time sensitive. One day there was a rich man. I'm telling you a true story. He mocked, ridiculed the church. Oh, I, I can't give offerings. I can't give tithes. Blah, blah, blah. This, that, that. He criticized the church. The church is full of thieves and this and that. Always criticized the church. Until one day, he had stomach cancer. And this was a big man. He lost a lot of weight. He lost so much weight that one day he went to church. And this pastor that he is criticizing, he went to church, held his trousers because that's how much he had lost weight. He was holding his trousers and he was holding his money. He said, I just, I don't want to make any promises. But if God is to make 
me alive and make me whole again. I'll just serve him for that. He brought his whole money to the Lord. And he never got healed. He died. But that was a lesson. Our worship to God is time sensitive. You don't have all day. Remember that. If you don't die, rapture will come. And when we are raptured, and when the tribulation is here, do you think you will have time to worship God? And now you'll be thinking, let me switch on TBN. When was the last time you even switched on TBN? You watch Netflix. Netflix has replaced that. Now you'll be looking, let me go online to, to, to see a church. <laughs> the pastors have been raptured. Most churches have been raptured. Who is going to do service online during the time of tribulation? Our service, our worship to God is time sensitive. Never forget that. And that's why Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Redeem the time because the days ahead are evil. So let me go through the five lessons again that we've learned from the, from the first eight verses of chapter 12. Number one, Jesus' response to an invitation for dinner implies when we invite him into our life, he will never turn us down. Number two, Jesus loved Judas though he was a thief. And what this was communicating to us was that Jesus came to represent God the Father who is love. There is nothing anybody can do to exhaust the overwhelming, endless, reckless love of God. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know what you may have even been involved in this week. But there is absolutely nothing that you can ever do to exhaust the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Number three, Jesus is God and he is Lord. Hence the worship. He's not just a good man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a poet. And all the things we attribute to him. He is God and he is Lord of our lives. He deserves his worship. Number four, Jesus comes to the defense of worship and the worshiper. Jesus will protect his worship and he will protect the worshiper. He is a jealous God and he shares his glory with no one. Number five, our worship to God is time sensitive. You will not have the opportunity to give offerings all the time. You will not have the opportunity to sing songs of thanksgiving and worship all the time. You will not have the opportunity to always listen to preaching and be among the congregation of saints. It is time sensitive. Never forget that. And in the midst of these powerful eternity lessons, can you believe that people were also plotting to kill Lazarus? In chapter 11, it wasn't just enough for them to plot to kill Jesus. Now they also want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because the Bible lets us know that it was through Lazarus that many came to Christ. And who were plotting to kill him? Chief priests, pastors. I'm like, wow, the book of John really gives a bad light on pastors. <laughs> because anytime they are mentioned, they are doing something bad. Either plotting to kill him, trying to get Jesus in a, in a, in a corner, but they will never be able to get him. Because he is smarter. He works with the wisdom of God. So folks, as we can see in today's message, Christ deserves our honor and our worship because he is God. Let us have a heart of worship. 
I pray that if there is anything you will get out of this message today, is let us have a heart of worship. So on the Saturday before Jesus was crucified on Friday, he went to a dinner and allowed himself to be honored and worshiped just to make a statement. You can never worship like this woman until you live a life of total surrender and devotion. Next week, we will look at what Christ did on Sunday before his death. We've looked at the Saturday and the next verses is going to talk about what he did on the Sunday before the Friday. But before that, let's close our message with a worship song this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So back at
In this year of knowing Christ, one of the effects is that you will have a rich worship experience. Mary could only live a life of total devotion, surrender, and honor to God, which enhanced her worship experience because she knew Jesus beyond a man. And when we know Jesus beyond what our Sunday school taught us, or what you may have heard from your parents, and you know him for yourself through the Holy Spirit, your worship experience will be enhanced. Father, we pray. May we have a heart of worship. We are worshipers. We pursue the worship of you aggressively, O Lord. Like David said, as a, pant, as a, as a deer pants for the waters, so our soul longs after you. May our song long after you, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk in the spirit of this message. And because we know who you are, our testimony of you to our friends, family, loved ones, and those we don't know will even be better and impactful. We give you praise that our worship will become like Mary's bottle of spikenard oil a sweet-smelling aroma and fragrance indeed to your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.